Thank you for viewing this Life to Tape video. Life to Tape is part of Fotations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit FotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, and welcome to the Fortations Life to Tape podcast. We're reading the Junior Classics Volume 1, Fairy and Wonder Tales. This is a podcasting 2.0 podcast, which means if you're using a newer app, you can find it easily just through search. If uh, you're listening to this, either the video version and you want to subscribe uh, to the podcast, there are links uh, to the RSS feed to add manually to older uh, podcast apps like Apple iTunes. But without further ado, let's get started. So this is the Junior Classics Volume 1, Fairy and Wonder Tales. The Six Swans by William and Jacob Grimm. A king was once hunting in a large wood and pursued his game so highly that none of his courtiers could follow him. But when evening approached, he stopped and looking around him, perceived that he had lost himself. He sought a path out of the forest, but he could not find one. And presently he saw an old woman with a nodding head who came up to him. My good woman, he said, said he to her, can you not show me the way out of the forest? Oh yes, my lord king, she replied, I can do that very well. But upon one condition, which if you do not fulfill, you will never again get out of the wood, but will die of hunger. What then is this condition? asked the king. I have a daughter, said the old woman, who is as beautiful as any one you can find in the whole world, and well deserves to be your bride. Now if you make her your queen, I will show you your way out of the wood. In the anxiety of his heart, the king consented. And the old woman led him to her cottage, where the daughter was sitting by a fire. She received the king as if she had expected him, and he saw at once that she was very beautiful. But yet she did not quite please him, for he could not look at her without secretly shuddering. However, after all, he took the maiden up on his horse, and the old woman showed him the way, and the king arrived safely at his palace, where the wedding was to be celebrated. The king had been married once before, and had seven children by his first wife, six boys and a girl, whom he loved above everything else in the world. He became afraid soon that the stepmother might not treat them very well, and might even do them some great injury. So he took them away to a lonely castle which stood in the midst of a forest. The castle was so hidden, and the way so difficult to it to discover, that he himself could not have found it if a wise woman had not given him a ball of cotton, which had been the wonderful property, when he threw it before him, and unrolling itself, and showing him the right path. The king went, however, so often to see his dear children, that the queen noticed this, noticed his absence, and became inquisitive, and he wished to know, and wished to know what he went to fetch out of the forest. So she gave his servants a great quantity of money, quantity of money, and they disclosed to her the secret, and also told her that the ball of cotton, which alone could show the way, she was now no peace until she discovered where this ball was concealed, and then she made some fine silk shirts 
and as she had learned from her mother, she sewed within each one a charm. One day soon after the king was gone out hunting, she took the little shirts and went into the forest, and the cotton showed her the path. The children, seeing someone coming in the distance, thought it was their dear father and ran out toward her full of joy. Then she threw over each of them a shirt. As it touched their bodies, it changed them into swans, which flew away over the forest. The queen then went home quite contented and thought she was free of her stepchildren. But the little girl had not met her with the brothers, and the queen did not know her. The following day, the king went to visit his children, but he found only the maiden. Where are your brothers? asked he. Ah, dear father, she replied, they are all gone, and have left me alone. And she told him how she had looked out the window and seen them changed into swans, which had flown over the forest, and then she showed him the feathers which they had dropped in the courtyard, and which she had collected together. The king was much grieved, but did not think that his wife could have done this wicked deed, and as he feared the girl might also be stolen away, he took her with him. She was, however, so much afraid of the stepmother that she begged him not to stop more than one night in the castle. The poor maiden thought to herself, This is no longer my palace. I will go and seek my brothers. And when night came, she escaped and went quite deep into the wood. She walked all night long and a great part of the next day, until she could go no further for weariness. Just then she saw a rude hut, and walking in she found a room with six little beds, but she dared not get into one, but crept under, and laying herself upon the hard earth, prepared to pass the night there. Just as the sun was setting, she heard a rustling, and saw six white swans coming flying in at the window. They settled on the ground, and began blowing one another, until they had blown all their feathers off, and their swans down, stripped off like a shirt. Then the maiden knew them at once for her brothers, and gladly crept out from under the bed, and the brothers were not less glad to see their sister, but their joy was short of a short duration. Here you must not stay, said they to her. This is a robber's hiding place. If they should return and find you here, they will murder you. Can you not protect me then? inquired the sister. No, they replied, for we can only lay aside our swan feathers for a quarter of an hour each evening, and for that time we retain our human form but afterwards we resume our usual appearance. Their sister then asked them with tears, Can you not be restored again? Oh no, replied they, the conditions are too difficult. For six long years you must either speak nor laugh, and during that time you must sew together for us little shirts of star flowers, and should there, be, should there fall a single word from your lips, then all your labors will be in vain. Just as the brothers finished speaking, a quarter of an hour elapsed, and they all flew out the window again like swans. The little sister, however, made a solemn resolution to secure her brothers or die in the attempt, and she left the cottage and penetrated deep into the forest, passing the night amid the branches of the tree. The next morning she went out and collected the star's flowers to sew together. She had no one to converse with, and as for laughing, she had no spirits. So there was in the tree she sat, intent only upon her work, after she passed some time there, 
It happened that the king of the country was hunting in the forest, and his huntsmen came beneath the tree on which the maiden sat. They called to her and asked, Who art thou? But she gave no answer. Come down with us, they continued. We will do you no harm. She simply shook her head, and when they pressed her further with questions, she threw down to them her gold necklace, hoping therein to satisfy them. They did not, however, leave her, and she threw down her griddle, but in vain, and even her rich dress did not make them desist. At last the hunter himself climbed the tree and brought down the maiden, and took her before the king. The king asked, Who art thou? Who dost thou upon that tree? But she did not answer. And then he asked her in all the languages that he knew, but she remained dumb to all, as a fish. Since, however, she was so beautiful, the king's heart was touched, and he convinced for her a strong, and he conceived for her a long affection, a strong affection. Then he put around his, around her his cloak, and placing her before him on the horse, took her to his castle. There he ordered rich clothing to be made for her, and though her beauty shone as the sunbeams, not one word escaped her. The king placed her by his side and at table, and there her dignified mien and manner so won upon him that he said, This maiden will I to marry, and no other in the world, and after some days he was united to her. Now the king had a wicked stepmother who was discontented with his marriage and spoke evil of the young queen who knows whence this wench came she said she cannot speak is not worthy of a king a year after when the queen brought her firstborn son into the world the old woman took him away then she went to the king and complained that the queen was a murderess the queen however the king however would not believe it and suffered no one to do any injury to his wife he sat composed sewing at her shirt and paying attention to nothing else when the second child was born the false stepmother used the same descent but the king again would not listen to her words but said she is too pious and good to act so so she but speak and defend herself her innocence would come to light but when again the third time the old woman stole the child away and the accursed and cursed accused the queen who answered her not a word to that accusation the king was obliged to give up give her up to be tried and she was condemned to suffer death by fire when the time had elapsed the sentence was to be carried out during which she had neither spoken nor laughed it was the very day when her dear brothers should be made free the sick shirts were also ready but the last which yet waned waited the left sleeve and she was led to the scaffold she placed the shirt upon her arm and just as she had mounted it the fire was about to be kindled she looked around and saw six swans coming flying through the air her heart leaped for joy and she perceived her deliverers approaching as soon as the swans flying toward her aligned so near that she was enabled to throw them throw over them the shirts and as soon as she had done, their feathers fell off, and the brothers stood up, alive and well. But the youngest wanted his left arm instead, which he had a swan's wing. They embraced and kissed each other, and the queen, going to the king, who was thunderstruck, began to say, 
Now may I speak, my dear husband, and prove to you that I am an innocent and falsely accused. And then she told him how the wicked old woman had stolen away and hidden her three children. When she had concluded, the king was overcome with joy, and the wicked stepmother was led to the scaffold and bound to the stake and burned to ashes. The king and queen forever after lived in peace and prosperity with their six brothers. Snow White and Rose Red by William Jacob Grimm There once was a poor widow who lived alone in her hut with her two children, who were called Snow White and Rose Red. Because they were like the flowers which boomed over two rose bushes which grew before the cottage, but they were two as pious, good, industrious, and able children as any that were in the world. Only Snow White was more quiet and gentle than Rose Red, for Rose Red would run and jump about the meadows, seeking flowers and catching butterflies, while Snow White sat at home helping her mother to keep house or reading to her if there was nothing else to do. The two children loved one another dearly, and always walked hand in hand when they went out together, and even when they talked of it, they agreed that they would never separate from each other, and that whatever one had the other should share. Often they ran deep into the forest and gathered wild berries, but no beast ever harmed them, for the hare would eat cauliflower out of their hands, the fawn would graze at their side, and goats would frisk about them in play, and the birds remained perched on the boughs, singing as if no one were near. No accident ever befell them, and if they stayed late in the forest and night came upon them, they used to lie down on the moss and sleep till morning, and because their mother knew they would do so, she felt no concern about them. One time when they had thus passed the night in the forest and the dawn of morning awoke them, they saw a beautiful child dressed in shining white sitting near their crouch. She got up and looked at them kindly, but without saying anything went into the forest. And when the children looked around, they saw that where they had slept was close to the edge of a pit into which they would have certainly fallen had they walked a couple of steps further in the dark. Their mother told them the figure had seen the figure they had seen was doubtless the good angel who watches over children. Snow White and Rose Red kept their mother's cottage so clean that it was a pleasure to enter it. Every morning in the summer time Rose Red would first put the house in order, and then gather the nosegay for her mother, in which she always placed a bud of each rose tree. Every winter morning, Snow White would light the fire and put the kettle on to boil, and although the kettle was made of copper, it yet shone like gold, because it was scored so well. In the evening, when the flakes of snow were falling, the mother would say, Go, Snow White, and bolt the door, and then they used to sit down on the heath, and the mother would put on her spectacles a reed and read out of a great book while her children sat spinning. By the side, too, they laid a little lamb, and on the perch behind them a little white dove reposed with her head under her wing. One evening, when they were thus sitting comfortably together, there came a knock at the door, as if somebody wished to come in. 
Make haste, Rose Red, cried her mother. Make haste and open the door. Perhaps there is some traveler outside who needs shelter. So Rose Red went and drew the bolt and opened the door, expecting to see some poor man outside. But instead, a great fat bear poked his black head in. Rose Red shrieked out and ran back. The little lamb belted, and the doe fluttered on her porch, and Snow White hid herself behind her mother's bed. The bear, however, began to speak, and said, Be not afraid, I will do you no harm, but I am half frozen and wish to come in and warm myself. Poor bear, cried the mother, come in and lie down before the fire, but take care you do not burn your skin. And then she continued, Come here, Rose Red and Snow White. The bear will harm, will not harm you. He means honorably. So they both came back, and by degrees the lamb too and the dove, the dove overcame their fears and welcomed the rough visitor. You children, said the bear, before he entered, come and knock the snow off my coat. And they fetched their brooms and swept him clean. Then he stretched himself before the fire and grumbled out his satisfaction. And in a little while the children became familiar enough to play tricks with the unwieldy animal. They pulled his long shaggy skin, set their feet upon his back, and rolled him to and fro, and even ventured to beat him with a hazel stick, laughing when he grumbled. The bear bore all their tricks good-temperedly, and if they hit him too hard, he cried out, Leave me my life, you children, Snow White and Rose Red, or you'll never wed. When bedtime came, the others were gone. The mother said to the bear, you may sleep here on the heath if you like, and you will be safely protected from the cold and bad weather. As soon as the day broke, the two children let their bear out again, and he trotted away over the snow, and even afterward he came every evening at a certain hour. He would lie down on the heath and allow the children to play with him as much as they liked, till by degrees they became so accustomed to him that the door was left unbolted, till their black friend arrived. But as soon as spring returned, and everything out of doors was green again, the bear one morning told Snow White that he must leave her, and could not return during the whole summer. Where are you going then, dear bear? asked Snow White. I am obliged to go into the forest and guard my treasures from the evil dwarfs, for in winter when the ground is hard, they are obliged to keep their holes, keep in their holes, and cannot work through. But now, since the sun has thawed the earth and warmed it, the dwarves pierce through and steal all they can find, and what has once passed into their hands and gets concealed by them in their caves is not so easily brought to light. Snow White, however, was very sad at the departure of the bear and opened the door so hesitantly that when he passed through it, he left behind on the sneak a piece of his hairy coat. And though the hole which was made in his coat, Snow White fancied she saw the glinting of gold, but she was not quite certain of it. The bear, however, ran hastily away and was soon hidden behind the trees. Sometime afterward, the mother sent the children into the wood to gather sticks, and while doing so, they came to a tree which was lying across the path, on the trunk of which something kept bobbing up and down from the grass and they could not imagine what it was. When they came near, they saw a dwarf with an old wrinkled face and a snow-white beard and a snow-white bearded a, and snow-white 
beard a yard long. The end of his beard was fixed into a split of the tree, and the little man kept jumping about like a dog tied by a chain, for he did not know how to free himself. He glared at the maidens with his red fiery eyes and exclaimed, Why do you stand there? Are you going to pass without offering me any assistance? What have you done, little man? asked Rose Red. You stupid gaping goose, exclaimed he. I wanted to have a split I wanted to split the tree in order to get a little wood for my kitchen, for the little wood which we use is soon burned up with great faggots. Not that you not that you rough greedy people devour. I had driven the wedge improperly, and everything was going well when the smooth wood fell upward, and the tree closed so suddenly together that I could not draw my beautiful beard out, and here it sticks, and I cannot get away. There, don't laugh, you milk-faced things. Are you dumbfounded? The children took all the plans they could to pull the door's beard out, but without success. I will run and fetch some help, cried Rose Red at length. Cracked-brained sheep, head that you are, snarled the dwarf. What are you going to call other people for? You are too many now for me. Can you think of nothing else? Don't be impatient, replied Snow White. I have thought of something, and pulling her scissors out of her pocket, she cut off the end of the beard. As soon as the dwarf found himself liberated, he snatched up his sack, which lay between the roots of the tree, filled with gold and throwing it over his shoulder, marched off grumbling and groaning and crying, stupid people, to cut off a piece of my beautiful beard, plague take you, and away he went without once looking at the children. Sometime afterwards, Snow White and Rose Red went a-fishing, and as they neared the pond, they saw something like a great locust hopping about on the bank, as if going to jump into the water. They ran up and recognized the dwarf, "'What are you after?' asked Rose Red. "'You will fall into the water.' "'I'm not quite such a simpleton as that,' replied the dwarf. "'But do as, you, but do you not see the fish will pull me in?' The little man had been sitting there, angling, and unfortunately the wind had entangled his beard with the fishing line. And so, when a great fish bit at the bait, the strength of the weak little fellow was not able to draw it out, and the fish had the best of the struggle.' The dwarf held on by the reed and rushed which grew near, but to no purpose, for the fish pulled him where it liked, and he must soon have been drawn into the pond. Luckily, just then the two maidens arrived and tried to release the beard of the dwarf from the fishing line, but both were too closely entangled for it to be done, so the maiden pulled out her scissors and again cut another piece off the beard. When the dwarf saw this done, he was in great rage and exclaimed, You donkey, that is the way to disfigure my face. Was it not enough to cut it once, but you must now take away the best part of my fine beard? I dare not show myself again, now to my people. I wish you had run the soles off your boots before you had come here. So saying, he took up the bag of pearls, which lay among the rush, and without speaking, and without speaking another word, slipped off and disappeared behind the stone. Not many days after this adventure, it chanced that the mother sent the two maidens to the next town to buy thread, needles and pins, laces and ribbons. The road passed over a common on which here there was great pieces of rock were lying about, 
just over their heads they saw a great bird flying around and around and every now and then dropping lower and lower till at last it flew down behind a rock immediately afterwards they heard the piercing shriek and running up they saw with affright that the eagle had caught their old acquaintance the dwarf and was trying to carry him off the compassionate children thereupon laid hold of the little man and held him fast till the bird gave up the struggle and flew off as soon as the dwarf had recovered from his fright he exclaimed in his squeaky voice could you not hold me more gently you have seized my fine brown coat in such a manner that it is all torn and full of holes meddling and inferior rubbish that you are with these words he shouted a bag filled with precious stones and slipped away into his cave among the rocks the maidens were now accustomed to his ingratitude and so they walked on to the town and transacted their business there coming home they returned over the same common and unaware walked up to a certain clean spot on which the dwarf had shaken out his bag of precious stones thinking no one was near the sun was shimmering and the bright stones glittered on its beam and displayed such a variety of colors that the two maidens stopped to admire them what are you standing there gaping for asked the dwarf while his face grew red as copper with rage he was continuing to abuse the poor maidens when a loud roaring noise was heard and presently a great black bear came rolling out of the forest the dwarf jumped up terrified but he could not gain his retreat before the bear overtook him thereupon he cried out spare me my dear lord bear i will give you all my treasures see these beautiful precious stones which lie here only give me my life for that you have to fear from a little weak fellow like me you cannot touch me with your big teeth there are two wicked girls take them they would make nice morsels as fat as young quails eat them for heaven's sake the bear however without troubling himself to speak gave the bad-hearted dwarf a single blow with his paw and he never stirred after the maidens then going to run away but the bear called after them snow white and rose red fear not wait a bit and i will accompany you they recognized his voice and stopped and when the bear came his rough coat suddenly fell off and he stood up a tall man dressed entirely in gold i am a king's son he said and he was condemned by the wicked dwarf who stole all my treasures to wander about in this forest in the form of a bear till his death released me now he has received his well-deserved punishment then they went home and snow white was married to the prince and rose red to his brother with whom they shared the immense treasure which the dwarf had collected the old mother also lived for many years happily with her two children and the rose trees which had stood before the cottage were planted now before the palace and produced every year beautiful red and white roses the ugly duckling by hans christian zanderson it was a glorious out in the country it was summer the cornfields were yellow the oats were green and the hay had been put up in sacks in the green meadow and the stork went about his long red legs and chattered egyptian for this was the language he had learned from his good mother all around the field and meadows were great forests and in the midst of these forests lay deep lakes yes it was 
a righteous glory out in the country in the midst of the sunshine there lay an old farm with deep canals about it and from the wall down to the water grew great burrocks of high that little children could stand upon under the loftiest of them it was just as wild there as in the deepest woods and here sat a duck upon her nest she had to thatch her ducks ducklings but she was almost tired she was almost tired out before the little ones came and then she so seldom had visitors the other ducks liked her better to swim about in the canals than to run up to sit down under the burlock and crackled with her at last one eggshell after another burst open pipe pipe it cried and in all the eggs there were little creatures that stuck out their heads quack quack they said and they all came quacking out as fast as they could looking all around them under the green leaves and the mother let them look as much as they chose for green is good for the eye how wide is the world is all the young ones for their certainty had much more room now that they were in the egg much more now when they were in the eggs and i think it's the world said the mother that stretches far across the other side of the garden quite into the parson's field but i have never been there yet i hope you all to i hope you are all together and she stood up no i have not all the largest egg still lies there how long is it to last i am really tired of it and she sat down again well how goes it asked the old duck who had come to pay her a visit it lasts a long time with that one egg said the duck who sat there it will not burst now only look at the others and they are not the prettiest little ducks one could possibly see they are all like their father the rogue he never comes to see me let me see the egg which will not burst said the old visitor you may be sure it's a turkey's egg i was once cheated in that way and had much anxiety and trouble with the young ones for when they are afraid of the water must i say it to you i could not get them to venture in i quacked and clacked but it was of no use let me see the egg yes that's a turkey's egg let it lie there and teach the other children to swim i think i will sit on it a little longer said the duck i've sat so long now that i can sit a few days more just as you please said the old duck and went away at last the great egg burst pipe pipe said the little one and crept forth it was a very it was very a large duckling she said she none of the others looked like that can really be a turkey chick well we shall soon find out it must go into the water even if i have to thrust it in myself the other day it was bright and beautiful weather the sun shone on all the green trees the mother duck went down to the canal with her family splash she jumped into the water quack quack she said and all and one duckling after another plunged in the water closed over their heads but they came up in an instant and swam capably their legs went on themselves and they were all in the water the ugly gray duckling swam with them no it's not a turkey said she look how well it can use its legs and how straight it holds itself it is my own child on the whole it's quite pretty if one looks at it rightly quack quack come with me and i'll lead you out into the great world 
and present you in the duckyard, but keep you close to me so that no one may tread on you and take care of the cats. And so they came into the duckyard. There was a terrible riot going on in there, for two families were quarreling about an eel's head, and the cat had gotten it after all. See, that's how it goes in the world, said the mother duck, and she wetted her beak, for she too wanted the eel's head. Only use your legs, she said. See that you can bustle about and bow your heads before the old duck yonder. She's the grandest of all here. She's the Spanish blood, that's why she's so fat, and I see her has a red rag around her leg. That's something particularly fine, and the greatest distinction a duck can enjoy. It signifies that one does not want to lose her, and that she is to be known by the animals, and by men too. Shake yourselves, don't turn in your toe, and well-brought-up ducks turns in their toes quite out, just like father and mother so. Now bend your necks and say quack. And they did so, but the other ducks around them looked at them and said quite boldly, Look there, now we're to have these hanglings on, and if there is not enough of us already, fie, how that duckling yonder looks, we can't stand for that. And one duck flew up at it and bit it in the neck. Let it alone, said the mother. It does no harm to anyone. Yes, but it's too large and peculiar, said the duck who had bitten it, and therefore it must be put down. Those are pretty children that the mother has there, said the old duck with the rag around her leg. They're all pretty, but that one. That was rather unlucky. I wish he could bear it over again. That cannot be done, my lady, replied the mother duck. It's not pretty, but it has really good disposition, and swims as well as any other. Yes, I may even say it swims better. It, I think... I think will grow up pretty and become smaller in time. It has lain lo too long in the egg, and therefore it is not proportionally shaped. And there she pinched her, pinched it in the neck and smoothed its feathers. Moreover, it's a drake, she said, and therefore it is not so much a consequence. I think he will be very strong. He makes his way already. The other ducklings are grateful enough, said the old duck, Make yourself at home, and if you find an eel's head, you may bring it to me. And now they were at home, but the poor duckling which had crept last out of the egg and looked so ugly was bitten and pushed, and jeered as much as by the other ducks as by the chickens. It's too big, they all said, and the turkey cock which had been born out of spurs, born with spurs, and therefore thought himself an emperor blew himself up like a ship in full sail, and bore straight down upon it. Then he gobbled and grew quite red in the face. The poor ducklings did not know where it should stand or walk. It was quite melancholy because it looked so it looked ugly, and was the butt of the whole duckyard. So it went on the first day, and afterward it became worse and worse. The poor duckling was haunted by everyone, even its brothers and sisters were quite angry with it and said, If the cat could only catch you, you ugly creature. And the mother said, If you are only far away, and the ducks hit it, and the chickens beat it, and the girl who had to feed the poultry kicked it with her foot. Then it ran and flew over the fence, and the little birds in the bushes fell up in fear, 
That is because I'm so ugly, thought the duckling, and it shut its eyes and flew on further, and so it came out into a great moor where the wild ducks lived. There it lay on the whole night long, and in its weary down, weary and downcast. Toward morning the wild chick flew up and looked at her new companion. What sort of one are you? they asked. The duckling turned in every direction and bowed as well as it could. You are remarkably ugly, said the wild ducks, but that is nothing to us, so long as you did not marry into our families. Poor thing, it certainly did not think of marrying and only hoped to obtain leave to lie among the reeds and drink some of the swamp water. Thus it lay two whole days, and then came thither two wild geese, or, properly speaking, two wild ganders. It was not long since each had crept out of an egg, and that's why they were so saucy. Listen, comrade, said one of them, you, so, you are so ugly that I like you. You will go with us and become a bird of passage. Near here is another moor, and there are a few sweet lovely geese, all unmarried and all able to say rap. You've a chance of making your fortune ugly as you are. Piff, piff, resounded the air, and the two ganders fell down dead in the swamp, and the water became blood red. Piff, piff, it sounded again, and the whole flock of wild geese rose up from the reeds, and there was another report. A great hunt was going on. The sportsmen were lying in wait all around the moor, and some were even sitting up in the branches of the trees, which spread far over the reeds, and the blue smoke rose like clouds among the dark trees, and was wafted far away over the water. And the hunting ducks came splash, splash into the swamp, and the rush of the reeds bent down in every side. That was a fright for the poor duckling. It turned its head and put it under its wing, but at that moment a frightful great dog stood close by the duckling. His tongue hung far out of its mouth, and his eyes gleamed horrible and ugly. He thrust out his nose and against, cold against the duckling, showed his sharp teeth, and splash, splash, on he went, without seizing it. No oh, heaven be thanks, sighed the duckling. I am so ugly that even the dog does not like to bite me. And so it lay quiet and quiet, while the shots rattled through the reeds, and gun after gun was fired. At last, late in the day, all was still, but the poor duckling did not dare to rise up. It waited several hours before it looked around, and then hastened away out of the moor as fast as it could. It ran over the field and meadow. There was much storm raging as it was difficult to get from one place to another. Toward evening the duck came to a little miserable peasant's hut. This hut was so dilapidated that it did not itself know on which side it should fall, and that's why it remained standing. The storm whistled around the duckling in such a way that the poor creature was obliged to sit down to stand against it, and the wind blew worse and worse. Then the duckling noticed that one of the hinges on the door had given way, and the door hung so slanted that the duckling would slip through the crack into the room, and that is what it did. Here lived a woman with her cat and her hen, and the cat whom she called Sony would arch its back and purr. He would even give out sparks, but for that one had to stroke his fur the wrong way. The hen had quite a little short legs, and therefore she was called Chickabitty, short tanks 
she laid good eggs, and the woman loved her as her own child. In the morning, the strange duckling at once noticed the cat began to purr and the hen to cluck. What's this? said the woman, and looked all around, but she could not see very well, and therefore she thought the duckling was a fat duck that had strayed. This is a rare price, she said. Now I shall have duck eggs. I hope it is not a drake. We must try that. And so the duckling was admitted on trial for three weeks, but no eggs came, and the cat was the master of the house. And the hen was the lady, and always said, We are the world, for she thought that they were half of the world, and by far the better half. The duckling thought one might have a different opinion, but the hen would not allow it. Can you lay eggs, she asked. No, then you will hold your tongue. And the cat said, Can you curve your back and purr and give out sparks? No, then you will please have no opinion of your own when sensible folks are speaking. And the duckling sat in the corner and was melancholy. Then the fresh air and the sunshine streamed in, and it was seized with such a strange longing to swim on the water that it could not help telling the hen of it. What are you thinking of? cried the hen. You have nothing to do. That's why you have these fancies. Lay eggs or purr, and they will pass over. But it was so charming to swim on the water, said the duckling, so refreshing to let it close over one's head and to dive down into the bottom. Yes, that must be a mighty pleasure, truly, quote, quoth the hen. I fancy you must have gone crazy. Ask the cat about it. He's the cleverest animal I know. Ask him if he likes to swim on the water or to dive down. I won't speak about myself. Ask our mistress, the old woman. No one in the world is cleverer than she. Do you think she has any desire to swim and to let the water close above her head? You do not understand me, said the duckling. We don't understand you? Then pray who is to understand you? You surely don't pretend to be cleverer than the cat and the woman. I won't say anything of myself. Don't be conceited, child, and thank your maker for all the kindness you have received. Did you not get into a warm room, and have you not fallen into company from which you may learn something? But you are a character, and it is not pleasant to associate with you. You may believe me. I speak for your good. I tell you disagreeable things, and by that one may always know one's true friends. Only take care that you learn to lay eggs, or to purr and give out sparks. I think I will go out into the white world, said the duckling. Yes, do, replied the hen. And so the duckling went away. It swam on the water and dived, but it was slighted by every creature because of its ugliness. Now came the autumn. The leaves in the forest turned yellow and brown, and the wind caught them so they danced about. Up in the air it was very cold. The clouds hung low, heavy with hail and snowflakes, and on the fence stood the raven, crying, Croak, croak, for mere cold. Yes, it was enough to make one feel one feel cold to think of this. The poor little duckling certainly had not a good time. One evening the sun was just setting, and the beautiful in his beauty there came a whole flock of great handsome birds out of the bushes. They were dazzlingly white with long flexible necks. They were swans. They uttered a very particular cry, spread forth their glorious great wings, 
and flew away from that cold region to warmer lands to fair open lakes they mounted so high so they mounted so high so high the ugly duckling felt quite strangely as it watched them it turned round and round in the water like a wheel stretched out its neck toward them and uttered a strange loud cry as frightened itself oh it could not forget those beautiful happy birds and so soon as it could see them no longer it dived down to the very bottom and when it came up again it was quite beside itself it knew not the name of those birds and knew not whether they were flying but it loved them more than it had ever loved anyone it was not at all envious of them how could it think of wishing to possess such loveliness as they had it would have been glad if only the ducks would have endured its company the poor ugly creature and the winter grew cold very cold the duckling was forced to swim about in the water to prevent the surface from freezing entirely but every night the hole in which it swam about became smaller and smaller it froze so hard that the icy covering cracked again and the duckling was obliged to use its legs continually to prevent the hole from freezing up at last it became exhausted and lay quite still and thus frozen fast into the ice early in the morning a peasant came by and when he saw what had happened he took the wooden shoe and broke the ice crust to pieces and carried the duckling home to his wife then it came to itself again the children wanted to play with it but the duckling thought they wanted to hurt it and with it in its terror flooded up into a milk pan so the milk spurted down into the room the woman clasped her hands at which the duckling flew down into the butter tub and then into the metal barrel and out again how it looked then the woman screamed and struck at it with the fire tongs and the children tumbled over one over another in their efforts to catch the duckling and they laughed and they screamed well it was that the door stood open and the poor creature was able to slip out between the shoves into the fairly fallen snow there it lay quite exhausted but it would be too melancholy if it were to tell all the misery and care which the duckling had to endure in the hard winter it lay out on the mooring among the reeds and when the sun began to shine and the larks to sing it was a beautiful spring then all at once the duckling could flap its wing they beat the air more strongly than before and it bore strongly away before it well knew how this all happened it found itself in a great garden where the elder trees smelled sweet and bent their long green branches down the canal that would through that wound through the region oh there it is so beautiful said the gladness of spring and from the thicket came three glorious white swans they rushed their wings and swam lightly on the water the duckling knew the splendid creature and felt oppressed by the particular sadness i will fly away to them to the royal birds and they will beat me because that i am so ugly dare to come near them but it is all the same better to be killed by them than those pursed by ducks or beaten by fowls or pushed about by girls who take care of the poultry yard and to suffer hunger in winter and it flew out into the water and swam swam toward the beautiful swans these looked at it and came sailing down upon it with outspread wings kill me said the poor creature and bent its head down upon the water expecting nothing but death but what was this they saw in the clear water 
it beheld its own image and though it was no longer a clumsy dark gray bird ugly and hateful to look at but a swan and matters nothing if one is born in a duckyard it only has one lane and a swan's egg it felt quite glad at all the need and misfortune it had suffered now it realized its happiness and all splendor that surrounded it and the great swan swam around it and stroked it with their beaks into the garden came little children who threw bread and corn into the water and the youngest cried there is a new one and the other children shouted joyously yes a new one has arrived they clapped their hands and danced about and ran to their father and mother and bread and cake were thrown into the water and they all said the new one is the most beautiful of all the young and handsome and the old swans bowed their head before him then he felt quite ashamed and hid his head under his wing for he did not know what to do he was so happy and yet not proud at all he thought how he had been persecuted and despised and how he heard them saying that he was the most beautiful of all birds even the elder tree bent its branches straight down into the water before him and the sun shone warm and mild then his wings rustled and he lifted his slender neck and cried rejoicingly from the depths of the depths of his heart i never dreamed so much of happiness when i was the ugly duckling well that's it for this reading of the junior classics volume one fairy and wonder tales i try to record this on mondays on twitch and then i post it uh, a week later on on the podcast and the video podcast comes out uh, when it comes out it's a lot of processing that has to go with it it is a multi-project uh, multi-project export where there's a 3d version uh, version for google cardboard devices like uh, vr and smartphone and then there's also uh, the 3d that can be used in uh and the Oculus and uh, PlayStation VR. So it takes a little while to make those, and I do uh, make closed captioning. Uh, I have an automated process for doing that, but then I uh, I have to um, manually edit everything. So it is proofread. It's not just, you know, it's not all AI. But I want to thank everyone for watching this. Thank you for viewing this Life to Tape video. Life to Tape is part of Fotations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit FotationsDonation.com where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye.